remember when I, I saw that clip and thought to myself, how, at least at this point, that writer got something really true. And that is, it's really easy in this life to live blinded and a slave. And Jesus came and said, I come to give you truth that will set you free. If you're willing to accept and receive that, it will just change your entire life. It will cause you to see the things that are out there that you just haven't seen. But it's not something about that's just in the head. It's something that moves down into your heart. I was a junior in college when I was beginning to really wrestle with the truth of actually taking that truth and receiving it. And I, you, had, you had that choice of, of kind of living in ignorance or willful conformity and just kind of moving in, as you were seeing in that clip, that same kind of can move into that life. Or you could take that red pill, swallow, in a sense, the truth, receive in your heart what's being offered, and begin to see life the way Jesus did and the way God your Father does through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was in this junior in college, and it was around that time I was do, uh, moving into that. And I shared with you a few weeks ago um, that it was in that time that I had a really, I moved into a real time of depression. I mean, it was a four-month period. If anybody's been in one of those before, you just kind of wonder if you're ever going to come out of it. It's, 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 it was not a good place. But I remember part of what I was wrestling with, part of it was a spiritual struggle. I remember hearing voices and almost in my head, and it wasn't some kind of schizophrenic thing. But hearing voices, and some of you may even relate to this, these voices say, you're crazy to do this. If you, if you follow Jesus with everything, and that doesn't, and it wasn't at that point contemplating even full-time ministry. I just, you know, you can follow Jesus in whatever path you're in. But you're hearing that, and, and you, you gotta be crazy. And it was this battle that was going on in my heart, and it was like kind of that red, blue pill decision. And I remember in faith just going, I, I want this. And these words of Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. All things become new. Was the experience that I began to understand. Paul concludes in his last letter in Ephesians some essential truths that, that talk about, just like we had said, you know, there, there's a lot of things in life where it shows that there's this battle, this struggle. And he basically says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're in a cosmic struggle. There is a spiritual battle for your soul. There is a real evil enemy, devil, Satan. And it's not a person, it's not your boss, it's not an employee teammate, it's not some other team that you'll you know, be playing. It's not like Denver Broncos against Seattle, right? It's not some business or political party or church or another people, even people in other religions. It's, that's not the enemy. So we don't fight against flesh and blood. He says it's against spiritual powers, but we have a mighty power of God available to us. And he says, be equipped, put on the full armor of God on a daily basis, put on this full armor of God. And the battle is this. It's not that you win. It's that you stand three times. He says, stand. And you're standing your ground on what is true. Which releases you into freedom 
to see all that God has. So if you take away just for a moment the armor analogy and you were to stand on these realities God has provided in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at, he says these are the things that you need to stand in. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation. This is just working out of the wholeness of, of God through your mind. And, and he talks about the rhema word of God, which is, is, is not just the Bible as much as it is even the word of God that he places in your hand like a sword through his spirit in the, in the moment of struggle. So Ephesians 6, chapter 10, verses uh, 10 through 14 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, he says it one more time, put on the full, not just part of it, not just one piece, but the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, because everyone will face it, Satan is always looking for an opportune time to attack. You may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. Now he starts talking about the, the equipment that you're to wear in this battle. And like I said, you can take away the, the armor. He uses the equipment as a way of showing how these operate in your life. So the belt, which is truth, which ties everything together. And then the breastplate, which is important for where it covers these vital organs. And he says, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And so what we're going to look at is this last part, the breastplate of righteousness. Last week, I am so grateful to Bruce, our middle school pastor, who shared with you and did an incredible job. I mean, I'm just so grateful we have a middle school pastor who can understand God's word and explain it like that to our, 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 our high school and middle school kids. But verse 14, as it says, stand firm, then how with the belt of truth, this integrity truth that ties things together. Verse 14 continues and says, stand firm, then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. It's kind of interesting to say with the breastplate of righteousness, but he says, make sure it's in place. It needs to cover your heart. It is a truth that is vital to your spiritual livelihood. And in the same way the breastplate covers our vital organs, things like the heart and the liver and the kidney and, and the lungs and other vital organs, the righteousness that covers our heart that we're going to talk about is vital to knowing and growing and fully experiencing God's love and life in this life. And when you get this truth, it's really, that's why I started with this clip. It's like taking this, you know, this opportunity, this green pill or this, this red pill and this red pill that brings you truth. Understanding what this righteousness is, Brings you into a whole new world spiritually. It is really one of these things that when you when you get this truth, not just in your head but in your heart, it's a spiritual game changer. You see, the Roman soldier um, had this piece of armor, and this piece of armor covered the heart and all these vital organs. It usually began in the neck and went down to about the thighs, and so it looked something like that. Some of them are really longer than that. Had this kind of fishnet kind of a approach so that there was no way it was it was movable and yet at the same way nothing could get in there to hit them and the other thing about that is this one doesn't show it as well but some of them were actually more that kind of brass it was a very shiny 
polish. They would spend time polishing it. Because it was, it was to, it was to actually be very bright. So when the sun reflected on it, it would actually be blinding at times to people. I, um, this last week was gone for a couple of days to a free church conference and I was on the plane. And as I was on this plane to Kansas City, um, I was sitting there and I was trying to read. And at a certain point, the sun was reflecting off a wing on the other side of the plane through that window and it blinded me. And I just wanted to yell, shut the little thing, right? That's how blinding that could be at times when they would go into battle. As it would reflect, in the sense, this sun into their eyes. It was heavy, too. The equipment was incredibly heavy, weighing as much as 40 pounds. In fact, um, I was reading, and some of you may have read as well, the book by Dugard and O'Reilly called Killing Jesus. He makes mention at times that Roman soldiers would march for days weighed down with close to 60 pounds of, of both armor and weapons. Armor was incredibly heavy. We find in the Old Testament, think of Goliath for a second. Goliath wore a breastplate and we're told it weighed 125 pounds. I had the opportunity to speak in one of the remote areas of Ethiopia. And in that area, they were still carrying, it was kind of funny, they had spears and they would also have boom boxes at times. It was a strange kind of sight. But I was speaking and they were, it must have been 200 or so in this in this. Um, building that they had, this uh, kind of wood kind of building. And outside it in the windows, you could see these people and they're standing with spears. And I, I just decided I'd tell the story of David and Goliath. And I remember at one point I said, Goliath had this spear and on that spear, he had a iron point that weighed 15 pounds. And they all went. And I found something at that time. You know what? There's there's a universal language of awe. Everybody kind of looks the same when they're awed. The breastplate worn by the Roman soldier was, was bright and shiny and heavy, and it protected the vital organs so that if one arrow or spear or lance or sword or dagger would in any way penetrate this, if you didn't have this, you would have a mortal wound. And so imagine the lack of confidence you might have if you were going to battle and you didn't have this piece of armor. Just imagine how vulnerable you would be, how you would be exposed to any kind of attack. That's why Paul says in verse 14, stand firm then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. He is basically saying to each and every one of us that if you really want to have this game changer truth in your life, it's kind of taking the red pill and understanding not just in your head, but in your heart, what this is you want to put in place over your heart, your heart spiritually, this reality and live in it all the time. Because understanding the righteousness that God has given you through Christ, released through the Holy Spirit, changes the way you approach life. It gives you confidence as you stand. There's a sense it gives you boldness in the battle. It impacts how you face every day. It impacts how you, how you stand when you're tempted. It impacts how you stand even when you sin. It impacts how you stand when you pray. It impacts how you stand when you share your faith. It impacts how you stand when you are plagued with doubt or discouragement or you're depressed. It impacts how you stand when you take your final breath. Think about this. Even your final breath as you face death, this piece of equipment is still on and necessary. 
You know, if we weren't in a battle, we wouldn't have to worry about this kind of armor. But the reality is we are. You may not be in one right now. You may not be facing a day of evil in your life. But the whole idea is this, that even with Jesus, there came a time that he was tempted. And when he was done being tempted, it says that Satan left till there was an opportune time. Always, Satan is looking for an opportune time to get you to react. And to move in such ways that you move out of fear and that fear breaks trust and it breaks relationship and it causes pain in you and others. You're in a battle. Paul, in just a few verses, writes what the breastplate of righteousness is. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, he kind of introduces this whole idea of righteousness. And then he goes on through the next eight chapters explaining it. So we're going to take eight chapters and we're just going to devour it. No, we're not going to do that. I'm going to try and kind of condense it into a couple thoughts. But you need to look at verse 16. It says, for I am ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. And here's how he goes on. He says, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. For in the gospel, now catch this, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written the righteous will live by faith. This is, this is a key verse. This is really the one that explains this whole idea of the breastplate of righteousness. If you catch the last line, that's what I'd love for you to live with. I'd love for you to take this word, the righteous will live by faith. I want you to say it out loud. If you feel comfortable, just say it out loud. The righteous will live by faith. I'll say it a little quieter. The righteous will live by faith. Now say it so you can hardly hear it. The righteous will live by faith. I would love... For that to be something that goes over your mind and into your heart on a regular basis. You live by saying the righteous will live by faith. Righteousness that lives by faith means simply this. You believe you have faith in this truth, this reality. God makes us righteous. You don't. It's not in your power to do it. It's not in your ability to do it. If I was to put these concepts that we're going to talk about in just two words, I'd say the righteousness of God has been done for you. God has done it. And the next part we're going to talk about in a little bit is God is doing it in you. This is not just some intellectual truth, but it's a heart-revealed truth. You need to know this because, you know, you can know this in your mind. I can tell you this in your mind, but it, it doesn't really do any good till it actually becomes something that you live with in your heart. That's why Paul in Ephesians 1.18 prays this prayer. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to the hope. That's a really critically important thing. This truth is out there. It's true. But until you take, in a sense, the red pill and it goes into you and you digest it and it becomes a part of who you are, you will be less than effective. You will, you will know God and you will know Christ, but you will not be able to live in a very effective way, is what Paul says. All good soldiers wear this equipment. And so Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the, of the gospel. And now note this. He says, Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to Jews, because it came, the, the whole work of God came to the Jews and then to the rest of the world. That's his point. That, 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 that they're spiritually given a privilege. But you know, when you're given a privilege, you're given a greater responsibility, right? 
And he says, remember, this is not a power struggle with Satan. We're not talking about you getting to a battle, a power struggle with Satan. This is what I call a truth encounter. It's a matter of knowing the truth. And, and, and power of God, the power of God is released through what you know in your heart around what is true. Because when you begin to understand that God, this God, gives you a righteousness that's from Him, and He gives this to you, you begin to understand how deeply loved you are. And when you begin to understand how deeply loved you are in your heart, it is a base of security that keeps you against any kind of deception and any kind of accusation that will come against you with regard to your standing before God. The devil, Satan, is the great deceiver and accuser. Remember, this isn't a power struggle. It's a truth encounter. And so how does Satan come against you? The devil means deceiver. Satan means accuser. His two primary names define his character. And so his whole idea when he fights you, it's not about trying. He's, he's stronger than you in your flesh. You're, you're no match for him. None of us are. He is wiser and more deceptive, and he is able to accuse you like the best lawyer. He can kind of point you to the point where you feel pinned in. And that's why he's known that way, because he does this, because if he can deceive you into what is not true, he then can control you by that lie in order to destroy you and destroy all those around you. And that's his purpose and his desire. So Paul says, begin with the belt of truth against the deceiver and now take this breastplate of righteousness against the accuser. This past week, I had mentioned to you that I went to a free church conference. What I didn't tell you that it was it was a free church theology conference. And uh, and it was a topic that, that was titled Christian Faithfulness in a Changing Culture. And the reason I bring up the fact that it was a theology conference is I'm going to beg your patience because I, I actually have to explain righteousness using a couple theological words. And I pray that it is not dry in any way. I pray that I'm able to put it in an accessible form so it's kind of on the bottom shelf and you can walk away and go, I didn't just get some theology. I actually got some truth that changed my life. So there's two truths about this breastplate of righteousness that God has provided for you. And, and twice he says put on the form, all of it, because they work when they work together. And then he says it is of God. Remember, this is the armor of whose? It's God's. It, it, it's not your personal armor. It's not the church's armor. I'm not really handing out anything the church can do for you. Nor is it any other kind of armor. It's the armor that God gives. It's the one that Jesus himself procured and provides for you. And so you need to wear this every day, every moment, because your enemy will seek to mortally wound you. So verse 17 says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. It's about believing this from the first step to the last step. And as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. He's quoting from an Old Testament prophet, Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. And then he goes on to use an example of Abraham who came before the law was given. And the whole point of that when he's talking to Jews is, look, he's trying to point out to the fact that Abraham didn't even have the law to perform. He didn't have any kind of law to perform. And it was before even Moses and, and, and all the law was given that God looked at Abraham and he says, guess what? The righteous will live by faith. So it's really important we understand understand that it's not about a performance or what we can do and how well we can actually abide by the law of God and please God in our own abilities. But it's about something that occurred before that. It's about a righteousness that you and I can live in and believe that changes our lives. So let me explain to you these two little concepts that I think he wants you to wear. And one is called imputed righteousness. 
And the other is called imparted righteousness. Imputed righteousness means simply that God makes us right in his eyes. It's his work and it's his gift to you. He does it. And the righteous live by faith in what he did. The wonderful thing about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, where the Holy Spirit begins to infill us, is the fact that the, the, the righteousness has been done by God. You see, what, what religion is about, what, what we want to do in our own flesh, what, what we all seek to do naturally, the paradigm we live in, the, the, the way if you took the green pill, which most people in willful kind of compliance and, and conformity to the world and in ignorance do, is they think that somehow by what I do, I can somehow gain acceptance and love and, and a righteousness that is of my own. And he says it never is going to happen that way. That is a dead end track. So what I will do is perform that for you and it will be done so that when Jesus on the cross says, it is done, means it. It's been completed for you. So quickly, what did God do? He took sinners and made us holy and righteous in his sight. Romans 3, 9 through 18 is this description of Paul that says to every one of us, he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. Romans 3, 23, he summarizes up this teaching at this point. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The standard that God has for each and every person in this world, you've fallen short of. I don't care if you're Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, whoever it is, you will not, you will not measure up the standard of God. And he concludes in Romans 6, 23, that says this, just as you earn wages for your work, so also there is a penalty for our sin. We, there's wages to our sin, and it is death. We are cut off from God, not just now, but for eternity. And it says, for the wages of sin is death, says Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life in someone who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For, for our sin, God imputes Jesus' righteousness. To impute something means to take something that belongs to one person and put it into another person's account. That's, that's basically what it means to impute. It's an accountant's word about talking about a, a debt that's in one ledger and you take this debt and you place it in someone else's ledger who has the ability to, to pay for it. So if I have a debt and I owe more than I can owe and someone graciously comes along and says, you know, Kevin, I'll take your debt that you have and you can put it in my account and I'll pay for it. Spiritually, this means that my sinful, self-seeking, self-absorbed, self-centered life results in death. And I have a penalty that I just can't pay enough to get out of. And then Jesus looks at me. Because you're probably not like me like that. You know, you're probably a little self-centered, right? Maybe a little self-absorbed. But let's just use me as the chief of these guys. And, and, the, and Jesus kind of looks at the father and he says, you know what? Dad, I look at Kevin, poor guy. He, he through his selfishness and all that he's doing has accrued way more than he can ever pay for in any way to be justified in our sight. And, and the father's going, yeah, it's a sorry case down there. And he, he basically says, you know, um, Jesus says, would, I would like you to put Kevin's debt on my tab. And then Jesus gets really generous and he looks at everybody. Past, present and future who are who are who are sinners. And he says, put their debt on my tab. Now, the righteous will live by trusting and believing in it. And that is like taking the pill. It just changes everything in your life. 
Because you get out of this kind of do and performance, although we will move back into that to a place where you understand it has been done. And what you understand is, is how much he loves you. So just a picture of that is here is Kevin with all my sin. And, and, and it goes over to Jesus who takes it and puts it in his account. But that's not it. When we talk about imputed righteousness, it's more than, than, than him taking my debt and my sin and my penalty for death. There's something far greater than that. He actually goes on to tell us. The fullness of it is this, that he basically, Jesus, who is righteous and holy and full of life forever, says, you know what? Here's what I want you to do as well, Dad. I want you to take for Kevin and give him my fully righteous, holy, full of life, now and forever life. And just give it to him. And I want you, the way you looked at me, and the way that you love me, and the way that I've obeyed you, and the way that I've responded to you, and the way that you have this just eyes of a father to a child who's never done anything wrong, I want you, as a result of this, now to look at Kevin in that way. And he goes, I will. Because of what he does at death on the cross. That is what is called imputed righteousness. Does that make sense? Okay, you may get this in your head. But what has to happen is you have to get it into your life. Because what's going to happen is this, that, that Satan, the great deceiver, is going to come along and he's going to deceive you and get you to start living in the way that you were. And he's going to move you from the sense of peace that you have, the sense of joy and the sense of love and the sense of his deep understanding of, of, of what God has done for you. And he wants you to start doing it on your own. And you start looking at your own actions and he comes along, deceives you, and he goes, look at how you do you, do you really think God loves you. Now, this takes work. To move back to the place and say, you know what? This breastplate of righteousness is on me. And you know what? You can say whatever you want. You can, you can accuse me in every way you want to. But guess what? That has been taken care of. This is what is called standing in the position of righteousness. Not on what you've done, but only and solely on what Jesus Christ has done. And so as Isaiah proclaims, as he gets a glimpse of, of Jesus, he says, God has covered me in a robe of righteousness. If you would rather wear a robe than a breastplate, that's fine. Put on the robe of righteousness. It's not yours. It's been given to you. And Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what happened. So the love God feels and expresses to Jesus, His perfect Son, He feels and expresses towards me. Cover your heart. Let the thought continue in your mind. The righteous will live by faith. And I believe that. And I am righteous because of God. Imputed righteousness means Christ's perfect righteousness is put into my account, imputed to me, put on me by God. And looking at me now, clothed in the righteousness of God, God pronounces me to be a just man, a righteous man. There is no condemnation, says Romans 8.1. There is no condemning to them who are in this righteousness in Christ Jesus. This is about standing in position, not about what you feel or what you may even think. Then there's this other aspect of it, which I call 
in which theologians call, um, you, know, you have this imputed righteousness, but now God also imparts righteousness. Because you go, well, that's really great. You know, I realize that I'm in this position, that God looks at me this way. But man, if you look at my life, I, you know, I, I find myself throughout the day, I can record in my journal how many times I react in ways that are out of fear and insecurity and really out of selfishness and out of sin. And it's just, you know what, even though that may be true, I sure am not feeling it. I don't seem to be seeing it. And here's the truth of it. God has done this for us. And guess what? Here's the imparted righteousness. God is doing this in you. He is giving you his Holy Spirit. See, imparted righteousness is the work God begins in your heart the moment you give place um, your, your faith. You put your faith and confidence in him. He begins to make you righteous through his power and his spirit. The first removes the penalty of sin. The second removes the power of sin. And imparts in you life. This life is, begins in a very small way in all of us. And it's over time. Here's the huge thing to understand. It's over time and as you cooperate with God that He begins to root out. And here's what we get concerned about. We look at our behavior and God is not as concerned in one sense now about our behavior as He's concerned about our attitudes and, and the, the things in our heart. If you look at the life of Jesus, what does He always look at? He's not pointing. He hangs around with some pretty rotten behaving people. Because these people had a heart that wanted to know so that the righteousness, this life of God could be imparted in their heart. And the people that, that you know, think about it, Pharisees, probably 80 to 90 percent of their life was really good behavior. You'd look at them and you'd go, they're the church people of the world. But Jesus was going, their heart was in such a place that it was far from him. And so he imputes righteousness, but he imparts Righteousness. And that's what Paul goes to explain in the rest of Romans 6 through 8, that like a seed, he puts it in our heart. And that's why he says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like this little thing, and if you, just let, if you cooperate with it, it begins to grow and expand and develop and move beyond what you could ever imagine. So here's what happens in our life. If you have um, received Christ and stand in this righteousness, you're in this position of righteousness, you have also the opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit and to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and to move in you. And in this life that is in you, that, that is right here, you can say, Spirit of God, now begin. I want everything within me to, to begin to start letting you take control and to move through my entire life. And as that begins to happen, you, you, you know what? You don't have huge changes often. You may see some big steps, some big leaps of faith. But you know what? The patterns that we have grown up with, that we've lived with, the patterns that you and I learn to relate to other people, even as children, they're all patterns that are often based, often based out of fear and insecurity. They're often these kind of things that we learn how to do so that we can get what we want. And it's often ways that we, you know, think about it. Gossip. What is gossip? Gossip is sharing information so that in doing so, you're sharing something that is about someone else that makes you closer to someone else. Well, it's all control manipulation. In fact, if you look at every way that you may act, any kind of way, you'll find that it's almost always about your flesh in fear trying to manipulate and control in order to get what you want. And if you live this way long enough, people who are really open to seeing this, 
and are not real successful because eventually you begin to realize what has been working for you no longer works. It creates now a prison, and what once worked to protect you now is so protective it becomes a prison that it destroys the kind of intimacy and the kind of life and the very things that your heart most longs for. And what happens is he says he imparts this life into us and this life begins to work into our heart. And what happens is it's not about our behaviors. Our behaviors are symptoms that get us to a place where we start going, God, what's going on? But here's what Satan will do. He'll go, how in the world can you call yourself a a Christian? How in the world can you call yourself righteous? You said the righteous will live by faith. You go, yeah, that's my position in Christ. This is what's been done for me. Here's what's really cool. He goes, you say the righteous will live by faith. You go, yeah. This is what God's doing in me. You're right. And I blow it. I, I, there's many times I don't really follow through on what I want. And, and, and when you come to a place and you understand it, you, you move to a place, you go, boy, it just shows me how much I need God. That's been one of the biggest things for me to learn in my life is when I come to those places, when Satan begins to accuse me, I, I begin to, I'm, I'm learning how to, and I'm growing and standing in this position of righteousness, which is not just some external thing. It's about understanding how deeply God loves you, that he would give you his son's life. And once you begin how that is, it gives you this basis, not out of fear, but you begin to live in love because love drives out all fear. And when you begin to start doing that, it starts to work on your actual daily life because now you have the life, the power of the spirit. The position of righteousness gives you the power of righteousness that is being worked out. It's being done by God in your life. It's, he's doing it so that we can come before him and recognize, even though our behavior at times isn't the way we'd like it to be. We know what we want to be because we know what God has done for us. And so we move into this. And when we fail and Satan comes to beat you up, which he will do, he is a master at accusing and beating you up. If you feel yourself being beaten up, that is not God. Because God comes to you graciously and goes, you know what? I see you, child, right where you're at. Are you willing to work with me to understand what's causing this? If you are, let's move into it. And recognize when you fall, it it is this incredible thing. Your brokenness is a reminder of how much you need, God, to do what you can't do. I've shared this illustration before, but I'm going to share it again because some of you, a good story is always a good story to tell again, I think. Um, I had a time when I was flying from Dallas to Chicago, and I had been away, and I was going to some conference in Chicago, and I was wearing kind of the summer clothes of, of, of of, of that southern area so i was wearing nice white pants and i get into the plane and i'm sitting in the plane i love sitting in planes where people serve you and it was in those days when i actually got a whole bottle of coke they don't give you those anymore and i'd like that because i would just grab my coke and pretzels or peanuts or whatever they had and i'd read i wasn't real big on you know i wasn't real big on trying to talk to everybody around me so i, w- I was i was reading and at one point i knocked the coke over into my lap and that's not a good thing. It doesn't even feel good. I mean, it's just underneath you. And I'm kind of in the middle seat, and that's part of what was the problem. And, and I said, excuse me, and the person saw it and gets up out of the way, and flight attendant comes over and helps me out. And I've got brown here, and I've sat in brown back here. And I felt really stupid, feeling shame and all my imperfection and and I had to make a next flight, which is I had to go from one terminal way to the other end. And I'm thinking, I've got to do this, and everyone's going to see me. 
So I had this choice of actually taking my suit, you know, like my suit coat and putting it here, my sport coat, and, my, and walking like this with my briefcase like this behind me. That looks kind of dorky in itself, doesn't it? And then it just occurred to me, because this is when I was starting to understand this idea of imparted righteousness, that God takes me right where I'm at. He knows I am imperfect. He knows that he's working on my heart to change my behaviors. I pay attention to my behaviors because they're symptomatic of something deeper within that needs to be changed, because I'm not really understanding God's love and his peace and his security that brings about whatever those patterns are that I'm still seeking to use to manipulate to get what I want. And so he, I'm, I'm working through this. And I remember just thinking to myself, you know what, I'm just going to walk to the airport like this. And if they think I went to the bathroom in my pants, big deal. I'm just an imperfect being. And you know what, I'm a sinner. I recognize it, and I'm just going to use this as a display. I don't care what they think. In my own heart, just going, God, this is just, I need you this much. I really need you. And so Satan, I don't care how you accuse me. When you fall and you find that brokenness, brokenness is just this incredible opportunity to get on your knees again and say, God, please forgive me. I, I really don't want to hurt people like that. I don't want to, to, to um, do these kind of things that bring this kind of pain into my life and other lives and into your life. And so he gets it and he says, good, you, I'm glad you're understanding. Let's start really getting down into what's causing this kind of behavior. See, there's imputed righteousness. This is your position where you live in the love of God. And then there's this, what is called imparted righteousness, which is what God does by giving you his spirit. And it is not a full and total transformation till the day you see Jesus. And guess what? Some of you need to understand that God's a lot easier than you are in yourself. And I got to tell you, a lot of what I find myself fighting with is my own pride. Because I'd like to be here. And that's a lot about my own stuff. So, we've got a few minutes left. And I just wanted to apply this. Because the righteous live by faith. They believe something. They believe in the imputed and parted righteousness of God. I hope the theology lesson wasn't too difficult. But here's the other thing. The righteous live by faith boldly. Okay, I talked about when you sin. Most people live this way with regard to this. They live in this place where you move to shame and to pride. And I call it the roller coaster of shame and pride throughout your life. And God doesn't want you to live that way anymore. He wants the moment you experience the shame and you recognize that you've done wrong. It's not your job that, you know, someone said to me, when I'm meeting with some young guys, um, started another group of young guys this week, and guys said, yeah, sometimes it's like taking a bath before a shower. Does that make sense? You know, I, you gotta, you gotta, oh, I'm gonna wash myself up so I can come into your presence, God. Just admit it. Recognize your need of him. The big thing will be to believe that he loves you. And then when you're tempted to sin, we talked a little bit about that. You have a whole other approach when it comes to temptation of sin. It's not so much about behavior. It's about what's, what's causing that. What's the root of that behavior? And Jesus, I invite you in there because you want know, to tell you, when you get to the roots of these things, a lot of times they're not easy to see and they're really painful because we become defensive. We've been living with it for so long. But it changes the way you go when you're tempted to sin. It changes the way um, you, you face prayer. Have you ever found that when you start to bow your knee and your, your, yourself before God and get on your, and bend your knee to pray, there is these voices that come to you and say, you're in no condition to pray, you're unworthy. You think God's going to really listen to you? 
That's all the enemy trying to keep you from what you know to be true. Because the righteous will live by faith. And they boldly, as it says in Hebrews 4.16, approach the throne of grace with confidence because it's in that place you receive mercy and grace. He wants to keep you from there. When you share your faith, you can share your faith in a whole new way because now it's kind of like, it's not about your behavior, that your behavior. It's about the fact that you're a person of the heart and people begin to see that. And it's not about pride. It, it, you begin to shine like that armor. You begin to shine what's coming from God. And God, they look and they go, whoa, what's going on? And you go, well, it's God. And then the last, I just want to share with you this. When you face death, and I think this is important for some to hear, and in our congregation it will be important to hear, because when you face death, some of the greatest saints, you catch it, some of the greatest saints have had a terrible conflict with the devil on their deathbed. And you might be going, well, yeah, that's not me. And then Scripture says, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Because Satan hates the believer, he will do anything to shake your faith and confidence in God and his love for you. He will seek at times to do it even up to your last breath. I just want you to know, even up to your last breath, he will seek to attack and shake you. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this. He has tried to shake some of the greatest saints on their deathbeds, reminding them of their past sins, reminding them why they had failed to, what they had failed to do, the poverty of their works and service for Jesus. In that time of physical weakness with death, staring them in the face, the, death, the devil is no gentleman. He will try then to shake you and cause you to fall. But Paul says, cover your heart. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. It is not your work that you put your confidence in, even on your deathbed. It is his work. So I just tell you, I am encouraging all of us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Cover your heart. The righteous, not your righteousness, but God's righteousness. The righteous live by faith and they do so boldly.